you are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, going solo for today's show. Tons on tap as the Seahawks start gearing up for week 12. I'll kick off today's festivities discussing a few injury updates on Seahawks players heading into the practice week. In the second quarter, it's Throwback Tuesday, a bit of a history lesson coming your way, looking back at some former Seahawks who also excelled with the Eagles. Wrapping up the show, I'll start taking a look at what's new with Philadelphia, Seattle's upcoming road opponent. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks are off today. They had a bonus practice yesterday, but Coach Pete Carroll did provide a few key injury updates after the practice session. I'll start off with the biggest injury concern that has been bothering fans over the past several days. Tyler Lockett spent a couple days in the Stanford Hospital with a bad lower leg bruise after last Monday's win in San Francisco. They were mainly looking to prevent him from developing what's known as compartment syndrome, which can be flat out negative. Nasty. Muscle swells up to the point it cuts off blood flow. You can have muscle and nerve cell damage result from that, even amputation in worst cases. So the Seahawks were trying to avoid any complications like that. Luckily, Lockett made quick progress in 24 hours. Then after two nights of observation, he flew back to Seattle. Pete Carroll now believes Lockett has a great chance to play in Philadelphia on Sunday, though he has to go out. And he has to show he's ready this week on the practice field. They're not going to be rushing him back. As I'll discuss some in the third quarter, the Eagles have had some issues at times in the secondary this year. This would be a big game to have Tyler Lockett out there. But the Seahawks are also 8-2. and two. Obviously, you don't take any game for granted in the NFL. They're going to Philadelphia looking to continue their winning ways. But you don't want to risk it here if Tyler Lockett is not ready. So we'll have to wait and see. I would hedge bets he's going to be playing in this game based on what I've been told. But I'm going to play it by ear day by day here. See how he progresses if he's ready to go. While the Seahawks got some pretty positive news on Tyler Lockett, Things are not as promising for veteran tight end Luke Wilson, who injured his hamstring in San Francisco. Carroll indicated he's been working diligently rehabbing, but it sounds like he's going to have a tough time making it back this week, and that's understandable. If you've got a hamstring strain of any kind, that usually takes a couple weeks to make it back from. And even if it's a kind of minor one, I wouldn't be surprised if he misses a game or two. So they're going to be missing him for a while, most likely. The good news, Ed Dixon can finally be activated the 53-man roster by Wednesday. That's actually the deadline to make it happen. The Seahawks have chosen not to activate him the past two weeks. This seems like the perfect situation to promote the 32-year-old veteran. Last six games of the season, see if he can give you a lift alongside Hollister. And once Wilson comes back, you could have a pretty nice trio of tight ends. But this is the issue here. This is why Ed Dixon, in my belief, has not been reactivated the last two weeks up to this point. The Seahawks are in kind of a pickle with their roster right now. What roster move do they want to make in order to create a spot for him? There aren't a ton of options. Maybe they can release a receiver. They've still got seven receivers on their roster. Jerron Brown was not active against the San Francisco 49ers, so maybe he's a veteran that can be released at this stage now that Josh Gordon's in the mix. John Ursua, their seventh-round pick, they already released Gary Jennings. From what I've gathered, the Seahawks are extremely high on Ursua, even though he hasn't dressed most of the games this season. I'd be surprised if he's the pick, but out of their receivers, those are probably the two guys that are going to 
potentially get cut. Malik Turner has played really well when he's had chances this year. They're not going to give up on David Moore. So it would either be Jerron Brown or Sua. Maybe CJ Proceis, who hasn't been active the last few games. There's some risk with that. They do still have Travis Homer available behind Rashad Penny and Chris Carson. So they've got three running backs. If one of those guys gets banged up, if Proceis hasn't been swept up by another team, they could try to bring him back. But there's a chance another team could quickly go in and sign him. So that would be a little risky, but they have some tough choices to make. Limited options here. Maybe one of their interior linemen, there's risk there. You already lost Justin Britt. They can't release Jordan Roos right now because he's the only backup they have at center unless they're going to try Phil Haynes there. They just don't have a lot of options right now. Maybe a defensive lineman, and there's not really a guy there that you can envision the Seahawks moving on from right now. They're not going to make any cuts at linebacker. They've got five safeties on the roster, but they love all five of them. So they've just got a tough decision to make, and I think that's the big reason why Dixon hasn't been activated. They haven't had to make that choice now that Luke Wilson is injured though and unlikely to play they can't go into this game with just Jacob Hollister and George Fant as their tight ends so they're gonna have to make a move I'm just really curious what the Seahawks are going to choose to do to open up that roster spot so the veteran can play on Sunday against the Philadelphia Eagles Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. Listening on the go? If you can't visit DoorDash right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. Coming up after the break, it's Throwback Tuesday, my favorite segment of the week. I'll be looking at some former Seahawks who also excelled for the Eagles. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, 12s. Glad to have you listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Later in the third quarter, I'll be checking out what's new with the 5-5 five and five Eagles, who currently sit in second place in the NFC East. But first, it's Throwback Tuesday. As we do each and every week, I'm going to give a brief history lesson on a trio of former Seahawks who also had a cup of tea with the Eagles. And I'll admit, this week was a little tougher because Rob Rang and I already discussed Ricky Waters before the 49ers game, and I think he's probably the most notable star who shined for both the Seahawks and the Eagles, but still several worthy candidates to discuss. I'm going to start off with a fullback in this week's segment. One of my favorite players to ever wear a Seahawks uniform wasn't a superstar by any means. In fact, he only played a handful of seasons in the NFL due to injuries, but Leonard Weaver was such a pleasure to watch in the mid to late 2000s playing for Seattle, as well as the Eagles, nicknamed the Meat Cleaver for his nasty stiff arm. This was one of those fullbacks that could do a little bit of everything. He could catch the ball out of the backfield, He could moonlight as a running back occasionally. In fact, I was disappointed Seattle didn't use him more out of the backfield as a ball carrier because I thought he was an absolute load for defenders to try to bring down. He was really athletic for his size and, again, could catch the ball out of the backfield. He turns the corner. He's not the player that a defender wants running at them full speed, especially given that nasty stiff arm that he regularly threw. And he entered the league undrafted out of Carson Newman College. This is the kind of player Pete Carroll would have been fired up for if Carroll was in Seattle at that time. Came in in 2005 out of a tiny school, learned under Max Strong's wing before taking over as the starter at fullback, 
2007 and 2008, he missed the entire 2006 season with an ankle injury. The statistics aren't crazy, but consider that fullbacks haven't been used near as much in the past decade or so. He was pretty darn effective as an all-around fullback in Mike Holmgren's offense. 356 rushing yards, 4.5 yards per carry, 60 receptions for 547 yards, three touchdowns. Also a very good run blocker as well. Unfortunately, the Seahawks didn't have Sean Alexander in his prime running behind him. And they had Maurice Morris back there. They had Julius Jones behind him as well. And neither one of those guys were really going to light the world on fire during their time with the Seahawks. But certainly they had some capable running backs behind him. A very good blocking fullback. Weaver's best season came in 2010 after he went to the Philadelphia Eagles. And I loved how Andy Reid used him. He moonlighted as a running back for a brief spell. They had some injuries back there and he took over as the running back for a couple games and was very effective. 323 rushing yards that season, 140 receiving yards, four total touchdowns. He was voted to his first Pro Bowl and was also a first team All-Pro selection. So at that point, it looked like he was a star in the making. If you really want to say any fullback is a star, Unfortunately, his career ended abruptly. The first game of the 2011 season, I still remember this vividly watching the Packers play the Eagles and his knee just got bent backward when he got hit running the football early in the game and it was clearly evident it was a severe injury. He was unable to play again after that point. Unfortunate because this is a guy that showed in 2010 what he was capable of doing and Andy Reid really loved having him in the backfield because he could do a little bit of everything. Unfortunately, his career got cut short by injury. Another former Seahawk that also played quite a few seasons with the Philadelphia Eagles. This guy was not a star by any means either, but I do remember when he entered the league in 2006, the second round pick out of Virginia Tech, the Seahawks thought he had star potential, and that was defensive end Daryl Tapp. He had 18 sacks in four years with the Seahawks. This guy was 270 pounds, so he wasn't just a tiny little speed edge rusher off the end. He was supposed to be a solid run defender as well. They viewed him as an all-around package, and he never had that breakthrough season that he they really thought he would. His best year in 2007, he posted seven sacks, 17 quarterback hits. That was his second year in the league, so all the people in Seattle's front office, the coaching staff, thought... You know, the sky's the limit for this kid. He's going to be an absolute monster off the edge. Unfortunately, he just couldn't build off that season. He had five and a half sacks in 2008, a respectable number, but it was a drop off from the previous season. And he never had more than three sacks in a year again the rest of his career. He ended up going to the Eagles after the 2009 season. Was a solid backup for Philadelphia. Six sacks in three years. 18 quarterback hits. A rotational guy that played in every game. Played a little bit of special teams too. But again, just never lived up to what it looked like he could be as well as he played in that second season for the Seahawks. Despite all that though, this guy stayed around in the league for a long time. In fact, he's only been out of the league for two years. He played in three games back in 2017. So his career ended up lasting 11 seasons, actually 12 years that he was in the NFL. Pretty remarkable given the fact that he was never able to really turn the corner 
and figure things out as a starter. He ended up finding his niche as a backup and provided some valuable snaps for several teams, played for some good New Orleans teams as well. So ended up having a pretty solid career, just never ended up being the player the Seahawks envisioned he would be when they picked him in the second round out of Virginia Tech. And our last guy on here, I wanted to save him for last because he's clearly the best player of the three players on our Throwback Tuesday segment here. Chris Clemens, start of his career was a little bit rocky. He had five seasons with three teams to open up his NFL career. He started out with two years with the Redskins, a year in Oakland. He did have eight sacks for the Raiders, so that was the best season he had the first five years of his career. Then he was a backup in Philadelphia for two years. Seven sacks in those two seasons. He was a rotational reserve, played some valuable snaps in the playoffs as well. One of those seasons, the Eagles made it all the way to the NFC Championship game, and the Arizona Cardinals defeated them. So didn't get to go to the Super Bowl, but he was a reliable backup at best. Seattle could not have known what Chris Clemens was going to become when the team acquired him before the 2010 season. Three straight years with 11 sacks, 66 quarterback hits in that span. He became one of the most fearsome edge rushers in the NFL. Seven forced fumbles. It's a shame he never got to a Pro Bowl during those three seasons. A very underrated player who had good burst off the edge, excellent bend playing that Leo position. Eventually, Cliff Averill took over as the guy at that spot. Playing across from Red Bryant, that was a really fun group. Two totally different ends. Red Bryant being the well over 300-pound, five-tech defensive end, a great run stuffer. And then Chris Clemens on the opposite side, pins his ears back, gets after the quarterback. And those two were extremely good players during the early years under Pete Carroll as this team went from an afterthought into an NFC perennial contender. Unfortunately, his career took a bit of a turn in the 2012 playoffs, tore his ACL on, I guess you could call it grass, whatever they have in the Redskins stadium, tore his ACL and missed the rest of the playoffs, came back the next year, four and a half sacks as a reserve for the Seahawks, had a sack in the Super Bowl as well for the Seahawks that season. So ended up coming back and making some contributions, even though he wasn't a starter anymore. His next best season, eight sacks with the Jacksonville Jaguars in 2014, retired after the 2015 season, but finished with 69 sacks in his career, more than half of those being in Seattle, had seven of them with the Eagles, played some valuable playoff snaps for them. Overall, a very good career for Clemens, who never got to a Pro Bowl, never was an All-Pro selection, but was still a very good player, as I mentioned earlier, an underrated component of the Seahawks' defense as Pete Carroll started to build that historically dominant group 2012, 2013, 2014. He was right in the center of that as one of their edge rushers that got after the quarterback. When we return here on Locked On Seahawks, coming up in the third quarter, I'm going to start taking a look at the Seahawks' upcoming Week 12 opponent, the Philadelphia Eagles. They're coming in at 5-5. Five and five. I'll look at what's new, some injury reports, and plus a close look at their draft class. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. We're going to start moving into week 12. The Seahawks were off today, but they will return to practice starting on Wednesday, and they'll be building up for that game in Philadelphia. 
To get kick-started with our preparation here on Locked on Seahawks, going to take a close look at what's new with the Philadelphia Eagles, a team that at 5-5 five and five has not lived up to expectations before the season. I had the Eagles pegged as a team that was going to be a primary Super Bowl contender in the NFC. They've had some injuries. Some players that were supposed to be studs for them this year have been disappointing. There's been a number of things that haven't gone quite right for them, but this is still a team any given Sunday can beat anybody. They're a very capable squad with an excellent defensive line. Carson Wentz is still a very solid quarterback. He hasn't had a lot of help this season. The running game's been a little bit banged up with some injuries back there. His receiving core has been banged up. So it's just been kind of a rough season for them, especially injury-wise. They added a lot of key pieces in the offseason. It looked like this was going to be one of the best teams potentially in the hunt for a second Lombardi in three years. Right now, they're just fighting to stay alive and stay relevant in the NFC East as well as the wildcard picture. As far as additions go, The biggest additions they made in the offseason, unfortunately, both of them are now likely out for the season. Defensive tackle Malik Jackson is done for the year, and Deshaun Jackson, the receiver, returning to Philadelphia for a second stint, he's done for the year. So neither one of those guys they got in the offseason, Jackson was traded back to Philadelphia. Malik Jackson signed with them in free agency. Neither one of those guys are going to be making an impact the rest of the season, most likely. Running back Jordan Howard's been battling a shoulder injury, but he was brought in via trade with the Bears to become their new workhorse back. Who knows if he'll be able to play this week or not. They brought back Vinnie Curry. A lot of reunions here for the Eagles. Guys that used to play for Philadelphia coming back to the Eagles. Josh McCown was brought in late to be the backup quarterback behind Carson Wentz. He's actually gotten a couple snaps earlier this year. And they just re-signed Jay Ajayi, their former starting running back, coming off a torn ACL. Nobody signed him up until last week. Did not get any carries against the Patriots. We may see some Jay Ajahi now in his second week back with the Eagles, getting back settled in. He knows the playbook may be on the field to give them a bit of a boost. A pretty solid running back for Philadelphia to bring in at this stage of the season. Departures, they had some big name departures. Nick Foles, who actually led the Eagles to their Super Bowl championship two years ago. He was under center. He is now in Jacksonville, just got his starting job back after coming off injured reserve. Gardner Minshew going to the bench. Linebacker Jordan Hicks has ended up being a pretty big loss for Philadelphia. Going to the Cardinals, he's given Arizona some really good snaps. Has had a nice season for the Cardinals. Michael Bennett ended up going to the New England Patriots via trade. Seahawks fans know Michael Bennett really well from all those years in Seattle playing in multiple Super Bowls. He is now in Dallas. New England did not hold on to him. Ended up trading him to the Dallas Cowboys. Golden Tate was let go of as well. Tate signing with the New York Giants in free agency. That ended up being a half a season rental last year. They traded for him at the deadline with the Lions and did not re-sign him. And I actually included LJ Ford on this list. I didn't think I would have before the season started, but he's had a really nice season for the Baltimore Ravens and their defense has come on strong. So the Eagles lost him in free agency. Didn't look like that was going to be a big loss. Has been a pretty key player for Baltimore to bring in this year. Looking at the injury report for the Eagles, I mentioned they've been really banged up. Future Hall of Fame left tackle Jason Peters still dealing with a knee injury. His status is up in the air for this week. We'll see if he's going to be able to go. Their other starting tackle, Lane Johnson, who is a vital part of that offense, he is dealing with a concussion. 
Reports are indicating right now the Eagles are confident they're going to be able to get him back, but with concussions, you never know if he's going to be able to play. If they're missing both those guys, that's going to be a major problem for the Eagles going against a Seahawks pass rush that woke up against the 49ers last Monday night. Obviously, both Jacksons I mentioned, Deshaun Jackson and Malik Jackson, those guys are on injured reserve. Veteran running back Darren Sproles was just placed on IR as well. Probably the end of his career now. He was going to retire before this season, ended up coming back for one more year. I'd anticipate we've probably seen the last of Darren Sproles on a football field. Howard, I mentioned, has a shoulder issue. A couple other injuries worth noting. Top receiver Alshon Jeffrey, he missed last week's game. He's dealing with an ankle issue up in the air. If he's going to be able to return this week, and linebacker Nigel Bradham, is also dealing with an ankle problem. He missed last week's game against the Patriots as well. So a lot of key players that are up in the air whether they're going to be able to get back. And several of those guys are already on injured reserve and will not play in this game. So Philadelphia has been ravaged by injuries at a lot of positions. And unfortunately for them, they only had five picks in April's draft. So they were not able to reinforce this roster very much with their draft class. They did pick Andre Dillard in the first round, tackle out of Washington State, so a local product that many of our listeners are familiar with. He started three games in place of Jason Peters and then had just eight snaps last weekend against the Patriots. So he's gotten some run as a starter, but for the most part, he's been a reserve. He's gotten some snaps in many of the Eagles games, but only three starts under his belt. A player that I felt coming into the draft process had a lot of upside, but I wasn't sure if he was going to be somebody that could make an impact immediately. The Eagles have kind of been given no choice with the injuries that they've got at the tackle spots, and he's going to have to learn trial by fire right now as a rookie. Miles Sanders running back out of Penn State they picked in the second round. He was kind of lost in the shadow of Saquon Barkley while playing for Penn State. A very dynamic playmaker in his own right. Has almost 700 yards from scrimmage this year. A really good running back as well as a receiver. He's got over 300 yards in both. Two touchdowns this year. He's a guy that's now going to get more opportunities with Jordan Howard being banged up, even with bringing Jay Ajayi in. Uh, unfortunately, it appears there's a reason that Ajayi was not signed before this point. Teams were not sold on him being able to come in and help. The Eagles ended up signing him. So right now, I would anticipate Miles Sanders is going to be their number one bell cow back. Maybe we see some Jay Ajayi if Howard can play. That changes things as well for the Philadelphia Eagles. Wide receiver J.J. Arcega-Whiteside out of Stanford. Third round pick, 6'2", 225 pounds. A player that when we were doing pre-draft stuff here on Locked on Seahawks, a lot of people were mentioning this name as somebody that they wanted the Seahawks to go after because of the size element that our Sega Whiteside brings to the table. He's been a non-factor for the Eagles, though, as a rookie. Three receptions for 43 yards. This receiving court's had injuries. I mentioned the issue with Alshon Jeffrey. Several of their other players have been injured as well. Golden Tate was lost in free agency. And they just don't have a lot of weapons on the outside. And Arcega Whiteside has still not been able to get things done this year. Has only had a handful of receptions, not many targets either. Maybe a guy to watch this week, especially if Jeffrey can't play. Uh, but he has, to this point, been a non-factor. And their other two rookies that they drafted, Sharif Miller, defensive end out of Penn State, has dressed for one game the entire year. While quarterback Clayton Thorson out of Northwestern is now on the Dallas Cowboys roster. So he's not even with the Eagles anymore. So really, they've got three rookies there that have had any chance to contribute, and 
Aside from Dillard getting three starts and Sanders doing some good things as a runner and a receiver, they haven't gotten anything else out of this draft class. So that has not helped them be able to pick up the slack with all the injuries they've had on the roster. Not a lot of young talent to replenish, give opportunities. Certainly some intriguing players there. Dillard's got a lot of upside. So does Miles Sanders. Arcega Whiteside's a player that I liked in the pre-draft process. Wasn't one of my top 10 receivers, but this was a very good receiving group, an underrated one at that. So he's one of those guys who could certainly have a breakout game at some point. Hopefully, for the Seahawks' sake, it's not against them this weekend in Philadelphia. But Make sure to follow me on Twitter at CorbinSmithNFL. If you'd like to be a featured sponsor on the Locked On Seahawks podcast, you can contact me, LockedSeahawks at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. Go to our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up tomorrow, it's Crossover Wednesday. I'll be hooking up with Locked On Eagles to preview the upcoming matchup at Lincoln Financial Field. You won't want to miss it. Go Hawks!